Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. The experience I want to share today, I am not certain that I have not shared it before, because I swear that I have shared it before, because this is a really cool experience, and I know I've read it several times. So, I do apologize if this is a repeat, but I kind of don't think it is, because I couldn't find it in searching out previous experiences. But we'll go ahead and get started. This is from uh, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website, and this is Ray Kinman. He has uh, several YouTube videos also sharing his experience from his own mouth, so I'll possibly include links to those in the show notes on neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. So, Ray says, Oh no, every time I try to describe this, it gets really frustrating, but oh well. First time, 10 years old. I went to Catholic school at the time and was horsing around with a friend after school on the playground. He was showing me a new judo move that he had learned in his martial arts class. He was going to flip me over his shoulder onto the ground. Something went wrong and I landed directly on my head. I picked myself up off the ground with the most intense pain in my head and spine that I had ever experienced. I was literally knocked senseless. As I got up, I remember seeing a woman who was there to pick up her kids getting out of her car with a horrified look on her face. She had seen the accident. I turned to run into the bathroom. I'm still not sure why, but only made it a few feet before I fell flat on my face on the concrete, blacked out completely. I thought that I had a dream when I was unconscious. What else would a 10-year-old compare the experience to? I did not realize what had really happened until many years later, when not only did it happen again, but I also started to hear of other near-death experiences. It felt as if my body had just come apart, and my vision went spiraling out of control, swirling colors that seemed to disappear to a point somewhere, like a funnel or something. No, not a tunnel, a funnel. It was really, I was really scared because I felt like I was losing control of everything. Somehow I knew that I had that I had to just let go of my fear and roll with the funnel of swirling light. My body was gone. It felt like a blender had just ripped it apart and I was just thrown into the funnel toward the disappearing point. I just let go of everything. As soon as I let go of the fear, the pleasant sensations began. I still had a body, but it was entirely different. I could see in three dimensions, as if I had no body at all, but it was just uh, I was just a floating eyeball, for lack of a better explanation. I could see all directions at once, yet there were no directions or dimensions as we think of them. Note, this is one of the things that really bothers me when I read or hear of other NDEs that describe a place, sometimes with rivers and valleys and flowers. This was not a place anything like here. How can my experience be so different from others? I was greeted by a being of light and love, but nobody else that I could recognize. 
I seemed to be just a brilliant glow that seemed to absorb me inside itself. Love is far too weak a word to describe this experience. I became love. My entire being, every strand of my spirit, spreading throughout the universe, had become love times a million billion. This is the point where I have come to contradict myself. I said earlier that over there was not a place similar to we, what we experience here. I found myself in front of some giant gates of some kind. It reminded me of an altar in the Catholic Church. There was some kind of fog or something that obscured any sense of distance, but my pet dog Skippy was there. Skippy had died some years earlier and was the only person, quote-unquote, that I had any real family connection with that was dead. I was overwhelmed with joy and love and embraced my dog with my spirit. Although I don't remember Skippy saying anything to me now, we were so happy to be together again. At this point, I was told that I must go back, that it was not my time. This is somewhat fuzzy here, but I remember an intense feeling of regret and being filled with a no, no, please let me stay feeling. But wherever the voice was coming from was adamant. It was not my time, and I must return. I had no choice in the matter. If it is possible to describe the funnel experience in reverse, this is what it felt like coming back here. It felt like my spirit was being stuffed into a jar that was far too small and painful to hold it. I was, it was frightening to return. No, no, I don't want to go back. The process would not stop. I was returning. I heard voices, real voices. I opened my eyes briefly and saw a circle of people gathered over and around my body, my face in particular. It was the paramedics from the ambulance, and they were rubbing ice all over my face. One of them was saying, he opened his eyes with great joy on his part. I closed my eyes fiercely and tried to go back, go back, go back. But they kept yelling and telling me to open my eyes while lightly slapping my face. I was in deep physical pain and felt completely saturated with exhaustion. The second near-death experience. I was much older, 16, and had the beginnings of an adult ego and character, so this NDE was much more personal than the first. I will skip details of the death part of this NDE. It is far too embarrassing to admit anything else other than I must have had an accidental overdose. I remember lying down against the wall at a party, closing my eyes. That was the last conscious memory I have. I woke up several hours later and the party was over. Everyone was asleep all over, but not me. When I left my spirit, it was similar to the first time, but much scarier. I thought that I was going crazy, that I must be losing my mind. I stared up into the same funnel that I saw many years before. I had a much more intense, fragmented feeling and certain wrongness as my ego disintegrated into spirit. 
I was frightened and did not have any idea what was happening. Just then I was totally out of control of what was going on. Again, I finally realized that I really didn't have any control, so I might as well just hang on for the ride, no matter how frightening. The spiraling funnel was swirling upward to the same disappearing point somewhere in the distance as it sucked my spirit out of this world and my body. Then, the intense love, peace, and pleasure began to overcome me once more. I was no longer Ray. My ego had dissolved, but somehow I was still Ray, a being of immense light and love and holiness, but this time the being was taking me on a trip or tour of some sort once again escorted me. It had something to show me. Now this is very difficult to describe, but time ceased to exist. It had no real value there. Past and future were completely non-existent. I was traveling in an intense burning now. Now was everything. I ceased to be a noun person, place, or thing, but became a verb, an action. I was raying instead of ray. This is the best I can do to describe what no time is like. It is beautiful in its own intensity and burning nowness. I was given a huge message at this point. The being told me, this is who you really are as it opened the universe up to me. I could not tell the difference between the infinite galaxies and myself. I became all-powerful and all-knowing, and yet I was still Ray. I cannot describe this better than this, but this story feels so inadequate next to the real thing. Then the being guided me and introduced me to the most incredible beauty and love that anyone could comprehend. It was a greater being of the most intense light that could not possibly exist. It was God. The first being guided me to this light and let it enfold and swallow me up. I became one with love times a million, billion, trillion, forever and ever. We were made of the same stuff. Every being that had ever existed in all of creation was now part of this greater whole being called God. I was one with all of them, and yet I was still Ray, all-powerful, little old me. This is who you really are, thundered the light. Notice the difference between who you really are and what you really are. It was very important to know that I know who I really am. After some indefinite length of nowness, I was told that I must go back, that it is not my time yet. I was okay with this now. I had a huge purpose and far more powerful reason for being. I was given another message that was very important, as this message as who I really am. I was told that I might return any time I wished. I have no idea what this means now, but that was the other big message. I returned to my body again, feeling stuffed into a vessel of pain and exhaustion. 
I do not care to comment upon further details of how I came back to this reality. That is the end of Ray's experience, and definitely one of the more in-depth ones, as I would say, especially as it refers to coming into the light and so forth. He describes the tunnel as a funnel. He says, not a tunnel, but a funnel. And I'm a little unclear which way it was going, whether it was big at the end as he was going toward the light or vice versa. But uh, but clearly, this funnel was a major part of his existence. Although, and it's interesting, he, he talks about um, there being a contradiction within himself. He recognizes this contradiction of not being in a place, but just existing in this form and, and, and in the light and so forth. And then later he says, this is the point where I have to contradict myself. I said that there was no place, but I found myself in front of some giant golden gates of some kind, kind of like an altar at the Catholic Church. There was some kind of fog. His dog Skippy was there, and he was so excited to see his dog again, and his dog was excited to see him. And then he goes on um, to talk about how this person with him, who apparently he never saw, said, you need to go back. And at the first experience, he fights it. He's like, no, no, I don't want to go back. And then next thing he knows, he's returning and fighting, you know, like uh, kicking and screaming, basically, saying, no, I don't want to go back. And he wakes up to the paramedics all dousing his face and rubbing ice on his face, I guess. And he keeps closing his eyes, trying to go back into the light, but he's unable to do so. But then much older at age 16. Let me see, how old was he in that first experience? 10 years old. So six years later, he goes into the light, and it's interesting how, you know, I almost expected, it sounds like he's he's being very stupid with his life, and he admits to being too embarrassed to describe all the circumstances that led to his death, other than that drug overdose at a party and he finds himself uh, trying, you know, falling asleep. And then when he wakes up, he's waking up in the spirit form and separated from his body. He goes up through the tunnel again, and he and there's a, a wrongness about it. He senses that, you know, this is not right. And apparently this time he's fighting it a little bit more because of this, you know, ego sense about him that he had developed as a teenager. He's fighting it. But then finally he gives up and and says, all right, well, let's just go with it. And once he does, he finds himself having the uh, loving sensations come over him. And he describes um, being sucked away from his body, away from the earth and, and so forth, and how intense love, peace, and pleasure began to overcome him once again. And he goes from feeling like Ray, this egocentric teenager, to being Ray. A verb, as he describes it. He says, I was, it was like I was a noun previously, a person, uh, you know, with a, in a place and a thing and all this stuff, to becoming a verb. He says, I was an action. I was raying instead of Ray. And he says, that's the closest thing I can come up with to describing what no time is like.
He's a verb instead of a, a noun. And he said, It is beautiful in its own intensity and burning nowness. I mean, this is commonly found in, in near-death experiences. This indescribableness, this ineffability is so common and yet I love that they try. I love it when people try. And he tries by describing himself as a noun. I love it. I love it. And and being that he you know he was raying rather than ray. And then he has this huge message come to him that says, This is who you really are. And it is accompanied by love times a million, billion, trillion as he encounters this being of light that he describes as God. And he's, he has this other being with him who kind of escorts him into the presence of God. And though it doesn't describe more than light, like he doesn't see God's shape or personage, he's just in this light. He, is, he says, he, I became one with love a million trillion times forever and ever. As I gather, he is merging with the light. And in doing so, he is experiencing every every being who ever existed in all creation, in all the universe, for all time. That seems to be the experience of those who merge with the light. And they all struggle to describe it. They all have this trouble with being able to, to articulate what that's like. I mean, how would you? I couldn't even describe what it would be like to be another person, let alone a bug or a dog or, you know, a plant or whatever, but experiencing all of them, I mean, it's just so far beyond the realm of description that we've got to try. <laughs> you know, we've got to try just because of how awesome that is. And his second big message is you can come back at any time you want to visit. He says, you know, being now back in his body and trying to describe it, he says, I have no idea what that means now. Because apparently he can't just, you know, close his eyes and whoosh back into the light. Now maybe he can experience some level of it, the reminding himself of the feeling and going into that feeling because of his memory of the feeling, I don't know. But very, very powerful and he doesn't say, unfortunately, here anyway, whether his experience changed him immediately, like he turned from being egocentric, druggy, to something, you know, more compassionate and self-loving, or what. He doesn't give those details, but I hold hope that it changed his life. For certain, eventually, it did, because of the, you know, he spent spends much of his life after this describing the experience and giving people um, hope that there is a God, that there is an afterlife and so forth. So, you know, that can't be all bad, right? But uh, I find this experience interesting because there is no condemnation in his, in, in the experience. And yet there is love that changes his life anyway. It's as if the love itself did far more than what the uh, than what any even a life review might have done. I don't know. He doesn't describe a life review, but he does describe 
an incredible love and sensing who he really is. And, you know, this is the kind of thing, I'm hearing this from so many people, that I'm realizing that that these aren't, you know, messengers sent from God to describe, you know, heaven and to give the message from God. These are not some kind of people um, being sent to lead out in some, you know, uh, new world or new world order or whatever. This is not cult stuff. This is not the stuff of of churches popping out of the woodworks and gaining followers and so forth. It's it's nothing of the sort. This is common everyday people coming back and saying, guess what? You're children of God and you're infinitely valuable and infinitely loved. Just like I am, just like they are, he is, whatever. And these messages are carrying of themselves the love and message of God without the need for some kind of discipleship. Now, that's not to say that church churches have no value. In fact, I would argue that they have great value, especially the ones that tend to believe in these kinds of things, in this, in being children of God, and in an afterlife, and in a, and you know the the idea that we are infinite, eternal beings coming to this earth for an experience and so forth. There is great value in that. But I'm not seeing people coming back from near-death experiences and starting churches. I'm not seeing that, and I think there's a reason for that. They are not being called as prophets, so to speak. They are not being called as messengers to declare the word. They are simply coming back with an example of what the other side feels like, what it is like, what they experience, what we are like. And people are seeing their fathers, their mothers, grandparents, great-grandparents, cousins, you know, fellow schoolmates. I mean, they're seeing everyone that they knew who died. They're all there in some form. Some are overcoming challenges that they faced in this life. Others are basking in the joy of service and love that this life and that life provide. Others are experiencing their pets and loved animals that they had in this life. I think there's great value in the recognition that this experience is not unique to a few individuals. This is what we're all headed toward. It's going to be unique for every person, no question about that. Will there be fear involved? Well, there's a little bit of fear at the beginning of his experience, so possibly, yeah. Is there going to be some kind of cleansing involved? Well, for many people, there is, but it is followed by a love of God, a love with God that uh, surpasses all comprehension here. So if that's what it takes, sure, we'll take it, you know, and the better life we live here, the more we're going to bask in the love and joy that is available there simply because we're recognizing who we are. When we do good, when we show love, when we do things for other people unselfishly, it's because we are sensing in ourselves a greater love, a being of love. We are beings of love, compo- composed entirely of love. If there is anything um, 
you know, that you could give as a recipe for what a spirit is made of, which we really can't do. It's all ineffable and indescribable. But the closest thing that I can find to the composition of what a spirit is made of is love. And we were, when we are acting in love, be that the kind of love that means serving and blessing a neighbor, or be that the kind of love that means standing up for what's right in a situation that is difficult and challenging and painful, that is an act of love. The opportunity to, to spend our lives dedicated to a family and teaching children, that is an incredible act of love. The opportunity to live a life single and be able to volunteer and and always be seeking opportunities to find and express love is a great opportunity to serve. If we're seeking out a career that will give us the opportunity to bless and serve other people, that's what this is all about. Finding and living our purpose on this earth. Now, how are we going to know what that is? Well, to be honest, most of us never will. But the important thing is to stay close enough to God, to go to Him, to pray to Him, to talk to Him. Talk to Him like you would a friend. Talk to Him and find out what you should do today. You don't have to worry necessarily about the long run. If you, you know, ask what your purpose on earth is, that's great. But if He doesn't tell you, if He refuses to tell you, that's fine. Just ask him what you want he wants you to do today. And he's going to guide you in that. He's going to help you know. And true, many days are going to end and you're going to be like, I don't know if I did God's will or not. I don't know if I was fulfilling my purpose on earth today or not. But if you're trying, if you're seeking that, you're going to be guided. You're going to be guided. And if you find yourself in a situation where you're living selfishly, where you know that you're being selfish with your time and your and your efforts and your or you're dealing with anger or frustration or maybe you're an abuser or someone who knows that they've got to change but you're just feeling this sense that I know I should but I can't do it. Same answer. Go to God, talk to him, let him work with you to overcome your problems because he can help you do it. He will help you do it in a unique way that's going to be working for you. That'll work for you specifically. It may not be the same route that other people take. Whatever it is, if you have things that you need to change in your life, work with God and bring it about by doing so in doing so. So If you would like to contact the podcast, either to share your own experience, to ask a question, or to just share a comment, you can do so by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. And if you forget what those are, our uh, website is neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. And if you would like to support the podcast, either by purchase, you can do so by either purchasing the book Life in the Spirit World or by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor. If you become a contributor, you will have access to an extra episode every week. And if you are listening and you have been enjoying these podcasts, but you've only been listening for maybe a few weeks or, or even a few months, 
and would like to have access to all of the previous episodes. All of them are available at neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. We are closing in on about 200 episodes around now. So if you have not experienced 200 episodes and you want to, they are available at neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. So with that, thank you so much, all of you again, for listening.